You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. Well, good morning, and I want to reiterate that, what Pastor Neil said earlier, Happy Father's Day. And I know for, for many of us, this day brings a whole myriad of different emotions with it. Some of us have lost our fathers, and they are missed on a day like this. Um, others have had bad experiences with fathers. There will be some of us who will gather this afternoon or sometime today that are missing a child that should be there. But I want you to know that you're not alone. And we're in this together. And I'm thankful for our community here at Ridgewood Church. I also want to let you men know that I really admire you. I watch the men from this church and I am truly amazed at their servant hearts, how you work, how you serve each other, your generosity. And I'm just really, really proud of you and proud to be your pastor and really thankful for that. Because we need each other. And as we go through the, the, the shifting change of this culture, it's really hard to keep up. And it's really hard to know how we're going to handle it. But I'm becoming more and more convinced that God isn't looking for the best and the brightest. I think God is looking for men women, and children who are simply willing to walk with Him. No matter what culture says, or no matter what culture deems to be okay. And that's why we're going to study the book of Daniel and the life of Daniel this summer. Because here was a teenage boy who was thrust into this impossible situation. He was tempted beyond belief. The most powerful man in the world tried to turn him away from his faith, tried to brainwash him. But he didn't and couldn't because Daniel was faithful. And this is what Satan, the ruler of our culture, is trying to do to you. He's trying to run you in circles. He's trying to steer you down dangerous Roads, because his ultimate goal is to destroy you. And so, during this series, we're going to learn what it means to walk faithfully with God and to acknowledge God's faithfulness in our own lives. And I want to encourage you this morning that you can be this kind of person. You can be steadfast. You can be loyal. You can be faithful even as the culture tries to fool you because you serve a faithful God. So let's find out how Daniel did it. If you have a Bible with you, if you have a phone or a tablet you want to download, go to Daniel chapter 1 verse 1 and if you want to grab that Bible in the seat back in front of you, you can just turn to page 737. Daniel chapter 1 verse 1. I want to thank Pastor Neil for doing an amazing job last week. I was so thankful for his heart of evangelism and reaching the lost. And it was awesome to see that. And I'm so, I'm so thankful. And I also want to just let you know that as we go through these different series, I write daily devotionals that we send out via email that are themed to the series. They're not very long, but they help, I think, keep you tied in. So if you're interested in that, you can you can use the QR reader and fill out an online card and just say, I want devotions, or go back to the hub and do it, or drop a, a card in the box, and we will get those to you. They come each day during the week. 
So here in these first two verses of the book of Daniel, we see that Judah was taken over by an incredibly evil king who took objects from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them over to his temple to please his false gods, and in doing so, declared victory over Israel. And so we begin in verses 1 and 2. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. So at this time in history, Israel is a divided nation. Judah is on the southern part of that. It's divided in half. Meanwhile, Nebuchadnezzar is growing this incredibly powerful empire. He literally is the most powerful man in the world. And in about 605 B.C., he comes after Judah, and he subjugates Judah, and then takes some of the best out of Judah, exiles them to Babylon. And so just to give you some kind of a a picture of where this all happened and, and what it may have been like, I just wanted to show you in modern day Iraq, this is where Baghdad is. Down here, not very far away at all, is ancient Babylon. And just to give you some, uh, to give you a little bit of an idea of the size of this country, up here is Mosul. Uh, this was, of course, ISIS headquarters uh, for, for a couple of years. And then if you want to know where Israel is, you just go past Syria, Jordan, and off the map, and Israel's right over there. But this is where this all happened, just in the Baghdad area. Now, this image I want to show you is of some of the remains of the ancient city of Babylon. And what I find interesting about this picture is up here, that palace was built by Saddam Hussein, who, um, of course, ruled over Iraq with an iron fist, was finally deposed, but he considered himself to be a modern-day Nebuchadnezzar. And so that palace still stands, and some of the ruins do too. And in this frame, I like this one a lot because what we see here is the actual remaining thoroughfare through Babylon. These are rebuilt walls on the side, but this is the real thing. And I kind of stared at that for a while because I thought, wow, Daniel would have walked up and down that thoroughfare. And so it's a real thing, real people, real issues. And then I wanted to show you what some architects think Babylon looked like in its prime. It was a a lush a beautiful, wealthy city. You see down here in the foreground the famous Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which is one of the ancient wonders of the world. Very famous gate over here, the Gate of Ishtar. But this is spectacular, and this is where Daniel spent his life. This is where God would use him. This is where he would faithfully serve his God. And we chose that word for this series, the word faithful. Because yes, the the story of Daniel contains the famous lion's den portion of the story. The famous fiery furnace portion of the story. And they certainly speak to a faithful God. But what I find interesting is that God is working underneath 
the surface to drive Daniel's story forward. Very much like these Old Testament narratives where God isn't necessarily mentioned all of the time, but he is certainly driving it. And I think immediately of the story of Joseph, where God brings all of this together, and Joseph finally looks at his brothers and said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so that's happening here as well. But the king, Nebuchadnezzar, is going to do an all-out assault on the Jewish heritage of Daniel and several of his friends. They are teenagers. Sometimes we just write off our students. We write off our teenagers. Oh, well, they're future leaders. Oh, well, they, yeah, you can come over here and hold the, you know, hold the screwdriver for me. No, these teenagers changed lives. And it's amazing to see their courage. So in verses 3 and 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar would try to indoctrinate the best young men that Judah had to offer. And here's some things we learn from this text about the strategies that our ruler of our culture, Satan, uses against you and me. And the first one is this. We learn that spiritual confusion is bred in isolation. Spiritual confusion is bred in isolation. What Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do is he's trying to tear these boys away from everything they knew, from their heritage, from their culture, and he's going to try to turn them into literally Babylonians. And the first thing he does is he isolates them. So if we look here at verses 3 and 4, the king commanded Aspenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge and understanding, learning and competent. Man, it's fortunate that I wasn't alive during this time. They would have taken me. No, I wouldn't have been on that list at all. And competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the Chaldeans is simply a line of sorcerers, magicians. So Nebuchadnezzar is as clever as he is brutal because he's taking these young men and he's going to isolate them in a spot where he can get at them, where he can target them with the untruth that he wants to feed them. Now, I was thinking about what would it be like in a modern-day situation for us to get a glimpse of what Daniel might have been feeling. And I thought of what it would be like if all of a sudden, you and I, within a a couple of days' time, found ourselves in a, a country, say, like China, all alone, have no concept of the language, no concept of the culture, the government is completely different than what we're used to here in the United States. And yet, God still used these young men. And that's exactly what Daniel was experiencing. And so what Satan will try to do to you is he'll try to isolate you to grow seeds of sin because sin grows and thrives in darkness. Sin is very, very much attuned to isolation. It likes it. 
And so I'm, I'm counseling you in order to walk with God to make sure that you are connected to Christian community. To make sure that you're in a community group. To make sure that you are in a Bible study with people that you can be accountable to. Become vulnerable with another Christian friend. Because it's really, really important. And online, hi online people, online is a great tool. And we want to keep using that tool. But it is not the end game. God meant his church to gather so that we can encourage each other. We can rebuke each other if necessary. But we are accountable to each other and we love each other. And we come together and we do worship together. That worship was amazing because we're all doing it together. And so if you feel like you're isolated, try to take a step. We will point you to people that can help you if you're willing. But Daniel was faithful even as he was left isolated. And the second tactic used here by Nebuchadnezzar and is used by our spiritual enemy as well is that he sought to make these young men truly, truly of the Babylonian culture. Spiritual confusion comes in the form of reprogramming. And you can put whatever word you want there. You can say brainwashing, changing the heart, whatever you want to say. But spiritual confusion comes when we lose our identity. And that's really Nebuchadnezzar's game here, to take away the identity of these kids. The text tells us here that immediately upon capture, these teenage boys in verse 4 began to learn the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And so this is an obvious attempt to assimilate them into the education system, to teach them the Babylonian culture. And they would have studied the normal subjects that you and I might study, mathematics, those kinds of things. They had to learn a very difficult language, the Akkadian language. Remember, they were the best and the brightest. And and, and Nebuchadnezzar knew that. But the king also changed their names. So he takes it to another level. Verse 7, And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Why did he do that? When they came here, they had names that tell us that their their parents were God-fearing Jewish believers who followed the God of Israel. That's exactly the point. Nebuchadnezzar, I guess in his foolishness, thought that if he gave them Babylonian names, that then they would be worshiping his gods and would learn to walk away from the God of Israel. But that's not what these young men were all about at all. But here's the thing. If he could get them to turn, then he could use them the way he wanted to use them. He could raise them up as leaders and send them back to Judah as vassal kings and rule over Judah. He could raise them up in his own government to help him there. At the very least, he could take enemies off the street the best and the brightest, and assimilate them into his culture. 
And here's what Satan wants to do to you. Satan wants to attack your identity. He wants you to forget who you are. Because if you forget who you are, you'll have a target on your back. And so many times, culture comes at us so hard that we tend to want to draw back from what we really believe. Because there are people all around us that think we are actually from Mars for standing up for biblical truth. And I saw a study this week, and I apologize, I don't, you know, I, I, my mind isn't what it used to be. So I can't remember exactly where I saw it. I think it was Christianity Today. If you want to know, I'll, I'll find it for you. But it did a study of those who claim to be Christians, and they established this grid of what a scriptural worldview would be. Six percent, six percent of people who claim to be Christians actually lived by a biblical worldview. Now, that's frightening because that means culture is having tremendous influence. And listen, if you are a person who has put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came who ministered, who took all of our sins with him onto the cross and died and paid the penalty for those sins and atoned for those sins, and you put your faith in him and you receive forgiveness, then you are a child of God. You never have to doubt your identity. Satan can whisper anything he wants to you, but when you stay close to God, when you stay in his word, it will be a continual reminder that you are not of God this world. Why do you feel so frustrated? Why do you always feel off balance? Why is the culture always just weird to you? It's because this isn't your home. It's kind of like when you go traveling, you know it's great to be there, but it's also great to be home. Your real home is in heaven. Until then, you're going to feel like you don't belong, but that's okay because that's how God draws you to himself. This is a great little passage in First John, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And that's not you. And so if you feel like you're dabbling in the world, then just repent of that. Tell God you're sorry and move on and go back into his arms because the powers of darkness will continually try to feed you the ideals of culture, the language of culture, and it's easy to forget who you are. And this chapter is a good object lesson regarding how to avoid what I call being faith-fooled because we can get isolated. We can be indoctrinated by culture, which is what Nebuchadnezzar was doing to these boys. And then that leads us to the big issue that the teenagers were confronted with. When spiritual confusion takes root, and this was Nebuchadnezzar's hope, it leads to compromise. And so you get isolated, you start to believe culture, and pretty soon before you know it, you're compromising your faith. And so now the Babylonians pull out another weapon, and we see it in verse 5. 
And then again in verses 8 through 10. But we begin in verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. So the diet that was offered them did not fit with their Jewish belief system. Scholars kind of ramble around about what exactly the problem was, but it doesn't really matter because it didn't fit with their faith, and Daniel showed himself to be a faithful young man. He could have said, hey man, I'm just a teenager. Like, yeah, I, I can, I, I'll go along with this. This is, this is better than, you know, getting beaten up by some guard. But he didn't. He would have none of it. Look at verse 8. But Daniel resolved. That's a good word, isn't it? Resolve. I like that. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So Daniel is uncomfortable with eating this diet, so he respectfully goes to the person who's in charge of him. Notice as the narrative progresses that Daniel always was respectful and honoring. So refreshing in a day and age where we think we have to ridicule and make fun of in order to make a point. Daniel didn't do that. He won favor with these people. But the steward had a real big problem because if these Jewish boys went in front of the king and they were scrawny and they hadn't learned anything, he was going to pay. He didn't like that idea. So Daniel has a plan. He says, listen, how about if we do this? Let's do a 10-day test period. Just try for 10 days. What, what, what can possibly go wrong? And the steward says, sure, let's do that. And it worked. Look at verses 15 through 17 and then 20. 15, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh. That's a good kind of fat. Than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Then the text tells us that therefore they stood before the king, verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And so Daniel stands up for his belief system. God is with him, and God gives them favor, and they stand in front of the king, and this, this idiom here, ten times, really means many times. The king said they were many times better than all of their contemporaries. And so here they were, sticking to their conviction. They were in better physical condition. They had learned more. They were impressive 
And by not giving in to Nebuchadnezzar, by not buying into culture, they thrive. It's amazing to me as I watch and have experienced in my own life what sin can do to a soul and a body of a person. When we give in to sin, when we give in to culture, there's a tremendous toll that it takes on us. There's an emotional toll that's taken when we have to hide our sin from people. When we have to hide things from our spouse. When we have to hide things from our boss. When we have to think we have to hide things from God, which of course we cannot. There's a tremendous toll taken in our bodies. There's abuse of our bodies when we're using substances and that are not proper or, or we're dealing in pornography or sexual immorality, the toll it takes is, is, is something that's just awful to behold. But these boys chose to just walk with God. Listen, we're not going to eat that stuff. Give us the stuff we know is going to be healthy. And guess what? They turned out to be the prime movers. And that kind of emotional health and relationship can come when you choose to simply walk with God. And so, this is all a part of the journey of these young men. Staying close to God when culture is trying to fool you works. It really does. The king used isolation and indoctrination which we hope would lead to compromise. But these teenagers were faithful. And God was faithful to them. And they really weren't alone because all the things happening around them were not random acts of bad luck. God was initiating. Just walk through this with me. Verse 1. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. That's pretty stunning when you just stop there. The Lord gave Judah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Verse 9. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Verse 17. God gave them learning and skill. And just like God had his hand on Daniel and his friends, God has his hands on you too. And so I want you to be encouraged by this point. Don't let Satan take you off course because God has special plans for you. And you may say, well, no, no, no. I, I see these people here at church, man. They can sing. They can teach. They, they're all like super successful business people. And I, I just don't see it, Paul. Well, as we study Scripture, we see God always moving. His hand is on those who walk with Him. And maybe not everyone's famous. Not everybody gets, you know, 10 pages in the Bible or something. But I will tell you one thing. God knows. And there will be rewards. And so your efforts are not going unnoticed. And so Daniel stayed true to the Lord with amazing integrity and wisdom for a long time. And here's a Jewish man in a pagan nation, and he rises to the highest stratosphere of leadership. Look at verse 21. Now, Daniel is the author of the book and the narrator, and here's a glimpse that he gives us. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, when we look at that, that doesn't really mean much. Okay, well, that's great. Who's Cyrus? So I'm going to show you a chart. This might help. 
Daniel's lifespan was amazing, and, and, and his work in the Babylon in Babylon was amazing. Sixty-nine years, Daniel ministered in Babylon. Sixty-nine years, and, and just to give you some idea, he outlasted Nebuchadnezzar. He outlasted Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and he eked into the reign of Cyrus. God used him for a longer period of time than either Jeremiah or Ezekiel. And he gets all the way up here to Zerubbabel. This is when the the rebuilding of the temple starts to kick in. Daniel was used by God for a long time. And he he went through ups and downs. His, His faith sometimes drew favor with the king and sometimes death threats. But if he could use a teenager, then he can use you. And here's something I find amazing. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, I'm, in a, I'm, just in a, I'm just in a period right now where I'm just experiencing some really bad luck, you know, and things are going to turn around. Or, or you're going like, yeah, this is great. It's going to be like this forever. Let me tell you, God has a plan that you don't know about, I don't know about. And if we look 120 years before this event ever happened, Isaiah writes about it. Isaiah 39, 6 and 7. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. 120 years earlier, Isaiah nails it. God is in this whole thing. And I only say that to encourage you. Because God is sovereign. He has his hand on your life and his hand on your story. And I know I'm encouraged by that. But if, just think, if Daniel would have caved in, if he would have gone off the rails, none of this would have happened. And so be like Daniel. Don't listen to the voices of culture. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy when he says, you're not good enough. When he says, you're too old for this. Or maybe that voice, oh, you missed your chance a long time ago. If you would have done that differently, well, well, that's no worse, Bill. How many, how many times do we hear that voice? Or maybe he's saying, you know, you have really nothing to offer and you really belong in a different generation. You know, you're better off in the 60s. You can think, well, yeah, I kind of do fit that mode. You know, I look good in the fedora and everything. Or maybe he would say, you're no longer needed. Or I couldn't possibly do what God's asking me to do. And guys, you might be hearing voices like, you know, I'm the only guy that when I get home from work, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm lost. I don't know how to lead my family. I'll guarantee you that pretty much every guy here would go like, oh yeah, I don't know what I'm doing either. But Satan will convince you that you're the only guy that struggles. When in fact, all of us struggle and we need each other and we need to talk about that kind of thing. That's another reason we need to be in community. These voices will take you in a direction you don't want to go and they will derail you And that's what I'm trying to say. Don't let them derail you. And I hear these voices. I have these spiritual struggles. And sometimes 
the, the powers of darkness can be intense and overwhelming. But Nebuchadnezzar tried it all. He isolated the boys. He, he made them with different names. He reprogrammed them. He thought they were going to compromise. He thought they were going to crash. Guess what? They didn't. Not just because they were faithful, but because God is faithful. And he's faithful to you too. God had bigger plans for Daniel. And God has huge plans for you. But beware of this enemy that wants to destroy you. And he's going to try to convince you that God really isn't faithful. But our God is faithful. And when you trust him and walk with him, you can be loyal. You can stay steadfast. You can be a faithful believer, even when culture is trying to trick you and fool you because you serve a faithful God. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your incredible faithfulness, your love, your plan, and how we can read Scripture and be encouraged that your hand is on our stories. That there's nothing new that you're experiencing. You, you, you see it all. You understand it all. You, you're guiding us forward. And as we make decisions, you're underneath there. And you're, you're bringing your purposes about. And so God, I just pray for this, for this flock here, God. Those that are here this morning are just doubting and hurting and wondering why did my life turn out this way? That they might find a little bit of hope in your sovereignty and love and faithfulness to these young teenage boys. And God, I pray that all of us could look at Daniel as an example of someone who had everything to lose, but he stood up for his faith, and you were there for him each time. And you're there for us too. And I praise you and thank you for that. And now as we worship God, I pray that you would hear our hearts as we pour ourselves out to you and honor you. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.